Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Hey there, CFDsters. It's time for another in the new Insight series, the one where I flip through my Rolodex, i.e. LinkedIn, and try and find a CFD practitioner doing cool stuff that we might not know about and then get them to give us a sneak peek into their world. And today's guest fits that bill perfectly. I'm talking with longtime friend of the show and previous guest from way back, Patrick Hanley. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Thank you, Robin. Thanks for having me. No worries. This is a first. You're the first guest to headline two shows. Congratulations. Thanks. (laughs) Last time I had you on the show, we were talking about your company, about Handley Innovations, and we were mainly discussing your experience as a CFD software developer and a vendor. But this time it's a little bit different. While you're still doing that, you're also involved with a company called uh, Terrafugia, who are, and I'm going to simplify it a lot here, developing flying cars, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Is that about right? That sounds correct. Um, Terrafugia is developing the transition flying car. Ooh. We uh, will. Uh, I think we're going to have to paint a picture of that in a moment. But can I ask about how you came to make that sort of transition um, from software developer to software developer and designing flying cars? Sure. Um, I have been following the flying car industry years before. Um, in particularly, I was following the work of Mark Moore. Uh, who also developed, um, his group also developed the open VSP software package. Ah, okay. And um, so at that point, I started working with um, Stanley and 3D, and uh, his group was also developing something called the Grease Lightning, which was a vertical liftoff and then transition tilt wing um, drone. And as I was developing Stallion 3D, I, I contacted Mark, and we, I wanted to have Stallion 3D evolve into a software that would do every, that would completely analyze um, the grease lightning along with its rotors and separated flows and so forth. So he sort of was like a, a inspiration for um, adding and upgrading the Stallion 3D software. Yeah, so for those people who don't know, Stallion is kind of your your flagship code, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, essentially, it started as an Euler code, and then I added terms to do the Rand's Reynolds average Navier-Stokes equations. I added terms to do stability, uh, longitudinal, lateral, and dynamic stability, and then I added some terms to do to uh, model rotors, so you can model at least. 100 rotors are using actuator disks. So it started as an Euler code and then got out of hand. <laughs> yes, I think so. But um, I have some, I think I have some other ideas but I th- um, for the code, but that's for the future. So I've called what you're working on a flying car, and that's going to conjure a certain image in people's heads. But for everyone who's currently got an image from the Jetsons in their mind, can we give them a better idea of what? kind of vehicle we're talking about here actually terrafusia is working on a flying car which is a roadable aircraft essentially the aircraft can drive on the road with certifications for an automobile and then it can fly 
goes to the airport and then take off like a, a regular standard aircraft. And it gets certified for an aircraft as well, a light sports aircraft. So it is essentially a flying car. Uh, other businesses also involve um, vertical liftoff and takeoff aircraft, you, um, eVTOL, electric vertical um, liftoff and takeoff aircraft. And these are also, they do have the term flying cars associated with them, even though um, people in the field would like to describe them as distributed electrical propulsion type aircraft. I mean, I've got a bit of an idea of what would be involved in the the aerodynamics of the the car bit of it. And and you you make it sound almost trivial to have a car. It can fly as well, but um, I'm sure uh, there are some pretty complex aspects uh, of the sort of the aerodynamics and what have you. Can you give us an idea of where CFD gets used in in the development of these type of vehicles? Sure. Um, CFD is just one of the tools that one can use to work out the aerodynamics. Um, CFD for the electrical vehicles, like the standard EV tolls, there are a whole bunch of over 200 companies now uh, uh, in working on these type of vehicles. It is very important to um, use CFD to ex- to design the vehicle exactly. So during the cruise phase of the vehicle, you'll know exactly how much energy is being burned um, just from the geometry. So um, if you have two similarly looking um, shapes, um, you could have a wing or you could have like, like a, a house, a door, like you have in your house. They're both um, rectangular platforms. But each of them will have um, a completely different type of drag and would burn a whole bunch of uh, a different type of um, energy. So that's the extreme case. Um, so if you look at two different designs and you have just a stringent requirements for energy, uh, due to batteries, then you know CFD comes in very. It's going to be very useful, almost ne- almost a necessity. We're talking about different um, propulsion modes and things like that, but so I'm guessing it's not just sort of fixed wing flight. We're talking about modeling rotors. We're talking about do we do we get into do we get involved in things like noise prediction and, and what have you, or or are we? Is it not at that level? It's. It's pretty much all of the above. You have to, basically, the eVTOL concepts are going to take over where the helicopter left off. Um, helicopters are notorious for noise. So the eVTOLs have to be quiet. Um, so that has to be modeled. And, and their codes are based on integral equations with wave equation terms, for example, Lighthill's analogy or the Fox-William-Hawkins equations, which are essentially uh, versions of the Navier-Stokes equations in an integral form, perfect for acoustics, and they can be coupled with um, S-O-Sterns, um, the noise-producing elements such as rotor blades and um, wings and other um, 
components of the aircraft. So, so that's one one place where we have some physics have, that has to be modeled the noise. Secondly, rotor interaction uh, with the with each with each other and with the airframe, and also the analysis of the airframe itself um, during cruise. Uh, landing, takeoff, and so forth. So if we're talking about these eVTOL-type concepts, so essentially a multi-rotor helicopter or kind of a giant drone or something like that, if we're, exactly. uh, if we're thinking along those lines, um, I guess these are things that have been studied historically, maybe in the development of, of helicopters back in the day, um, but perhaps haven't seen that much work recently. Um, is that is that the case? Definitely. Every time I, I look at it as this, every time a new propulsion system comes out, we have a chance to gain a chance to revisit vertical takeoff and landing. For example, um, when the piston engine came out for aircraft, like the Wright brothers, then we saw things like a helicopter, gyrocopters, and things like that coming out shortly thereafter in the 30s and 40s, for example. Then the jet engine was developed. And then in the 60s, we saw things like the X-22, which is a version of what Bell is coming out. It's, it's similar to the Bell Nexus. Um, so that was, I think it was, was a jet engine. There was on um, Canadair, had the CL-48. Um, it was a tilt wing, um, and that was based on the jet engine. And then we had aircraft like the Harrier and, of course, the, v- the V-22, the, the Osprey. These are jet engine-based um, um, VTOL aircraft. And now, um, just a few years ago, um, the electric motor could deliver anywhere from 70 kilowatts to about 200 to 300 kilowatts. What that means that it could support um, flight. Um, uh, and so, again, we have this race to develop um, an VTOL, but now it's eVTOL because we are dealing with a new type of engine, which is a, an electrical motor. The, the, the electrical motor makes it very easy to... Um, it's, again, like a drone. It's very e- easy to have distributed propulsion almost anywhere on the aircraft without thinking about oil and gasoline and you know jet um, gearboxes and all that kind of things. So you could stick a motor anywhere, essentially. Um, but um, a lot of the aerodynamics is 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 still the same, and. Um, if you want something to fly, you have to pay um, a lot of attention to the aerodynamics, the interactions of the um, motors, the wakes, and then you have to, it's, these things are going to work with batteries, and um, the batteries have to do two roles. They have to have, they have to deliver a lot of power, and also they have to have a lot of stored energy. So a lot, you need a lot of power for liftoff a lot of stored energy for crews and the the battery might be the biggest challenge so that's sort of the biggest challenge from an aerodynamic point of view what is there a particularly unusual or unique challenge for 
CFD in this space? CFD is very interesting in this in this space because um, the geometry is very complex. It's extremely complex. So just looking at a wing and getting half of the story is not going to work because um, because you are looking at energy, you will definitely need to to take into account all the other components of the aircraft, um, hubs and rotors and the whole fuselage and their interaction. So um, so you will have to grid a complete uh, vehicle, not just a simplified vehicle. Is there a feasible alternative to CFD these days? I mean, I guess it seems like a lot of experimental facilities have, have died a death in the intervening period is it is it cfd or nothing or how does it work it's it's cfd but then there's also um building scale models and things like that for for, for proof of concepts because there are a lot of unknowns that are not answered by cfd uh, as yet unless you want to wait a couple of years as the com- the computer crunches out the answers um, but you could you could um build a model Scale modern get the answer right away. Usually, a scale modern is allowed to crash, but um, uh, you'll get a lot of answers. So, CFD kind of the primary tool until you get to the point of building a sort of prototype, and then it's a, a, yes. a typical a prototype room, as opposed to previously where it might have been a heavy wind tunnel design process and then some occasional CFD around it. Yeah, yeah. CFD can get a lot of things that the wind tunnel got. And, um, but then, when you have a complex aircraft, then you have to build uh, some sort of a model to get its behavior, work out its control, and so forth. I'm sure the answer to this question, this next question, is a, a multitude of things. But is there something, um, is there something that's particularly important for the CFD in 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 this kind of area? First of all, it has to be very accurate, and the, the grid. Has, is usually huge, and the person doing the CFD has to be an expert in the sense that usually CFD is used to determine what concept is going to bring to the forefront, and that requires a lot of runs, a lot of uh, modeling of a complex geometry in a short period of time. It usually has to run on an extremely big computer to get the answer very quickly. You mentioned big models, you mentioned fast turnaround time, and you mentioned um, a high degree of accuracy. Those things don't necessarily all fit together that often without that big horsepower in the background about with a lot of a lot of crunch power. Are you also using sort of novel techniques to speed things up or um, novel codes or are we just talking about sort of a very familiar fvm type modeling i'm using some pretty good codes um one of the codes i'm using is like uh, for grid generation is point wise it's extremely good i um you can take a complex geometry and once you can do the surface mesh which you can do really well off of an igis file and then it pretty much solves that problem of doing complex geometries it exports to a whole bunch of different codes, like um, SU2, for example, which can do very well at solving the Rand's equations using a, a number of 
uh, turbulence models. So that that's a, that's a quick way of doing um, the analysis. I also sometimes use um, my Stallion 3D code, which is um, of course can take a <laughs> definitely, which can take a complex geometry again. Sometimes I generate the surface mesh using pointwise and then and put it in Stallion 3D and then could model rotors and do stability analysis, things like that. Um, so that's that's one way of um, handling uh, a complex problem. Are we talking about um, di- sort of different stages of, of analysis? Are we kind of rattling through many, many designs with, say, Stallion and then focusing in on a, a couple of candidates with, with SU2 and, and then analysing those in more detail? Um, usually I do CFD in such a way that I also use um, vortex lattice methods and um, so, so reduce order methods along with the CFD and maybe even some analytical methods because um, I, I usually like to get everything from analytical methods, reduce order methods, complex CFD models to agree on a few things. And if they don't, then I'm extremely worried. But um, they have to agree. And you cannot um, do really good CFD unless you could get um, all your codes to agree. For example, I once heard that somebody with a single watch is certain of the time but if you give them two watches then you know they don't even know what time it is so i try to use a bunch of watches when i'm doing cfd there might be a view that as you progress through the more complex codes if you like that that might usurp the the more simple code below it but you what you're saying is that um, you kind of use them in in tandem for different reasons, but at the, at the end of the day, they need to at least agree on some aspects. Yeah, they need to agree within at least a linear range. Um, for example, CL equals to um, the Lifko's 2 pi, which you can get from very simple analytical methods, have to hold out if you're doing a near foil analysis. And then um, if you have to have lifting line. And theory has to agree somewhere in there. Uh, vortex lattice methods have to agree, even with your most complex Navier-Stokes code um, within a, a few points in the linear range. Do you link in other codes to kind of give you access to features that aren't necessarily easily done in a, say, in finite volume code? So maybe you'd link out to a, um, a, a analytical method or something like that. Exactly. Uh, sometimes you need to do a quick stability analysis uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's time consuming in a finite volume code. So a vortex lattice code is a good place to start if you're doing a linear stability analysis to figure out um, whether the aircraft might be stable and to size some of the control surfaces, to size the wings and so forth. So that's usually a good place to start. Um, for analysis of rotor blades, one I just look at momentum theory as a very rudimentary place to start, and then move to codes that do like blade blade element momentum type theories, and then take it from there. Yeah, absolutely. So 
are we talking about some kind of old codes as well? These are perhaps not currently made. Well, I was going to say not currently maintained, but these are not. These are codes that were developed a few years ago. Yes, I mean, a lot of these codes that were developed, um, say around the seventies or the eighties, which is to me is not a very long, long time ago, but to some no, people it might be. Um, the codes that were in the days of helicopters to predict noise, stability, interaction of rotors, and so forth. Um, they are coming back, and a lot of these companies are now consulting startup eVTOL companies. So they are gotten, they've gotten a second life, and it's a very important um, role that they have now playing. So combined with modern-day computing, are these old codes like rocket ships now? Yeah, they run very fast. So they, run, they can run even fast, very fast on the PC. And um, if you consider what we call a PC these days, might have 16 cores, 32 threads, and running at 3 gigahertz. So that's extremely fast. What would you say would be a key skill for someone who wants to, to work in this area? Because let's assume that there's going to be a revolution in personal mobility, as some people put it. Um, and we're going to see more of these type of companies. If somebody was going to want to um, to go and work in, in CFD in this area, what yeah. are the key skills? Is it very similar to sort of designing a, a general aviation or is there something something unique about it? Um, I think it's unique in the sense that with the general aviation type aircraft, you were more looking at um, steady codes um, with a EV tall. Um, you want to look at um, a lot of unsteady codes and codes that have um, that handle things like um, propellers or at least has some actuator discs in them. And when you're looking at um, stability and controls, things like that, so much more than just doing that, like regular static and dynamic stability for a general aviation type aircraft. So it, it takes, it's a lot of learning. So it's very exciting um, field to, to get into. But if you're just starting out, I would say that you have to know a lot about the equations themselves. For example, if you, okay, yeah, if you're looking at so Navier-Stokes or even a Rand's code, you have to know where the, some of those assumptions would come from, um, just to get the settings right. And even if you're doing looking at turbulence model and integrating it with, say, the Navier-Stokes equations. You might have to use a different um, CFL condition for the turbulence model terms and for the Navier-Stokes terms, and you, you know you have to have some experience with that. Also, there's a myriad of supporting codes that you will have to know. For example, some sort of CAD code, um, such as um, uh, probably SolidWorks, and a lot of people are using. Open VSB, NASA's Open Vehicle Sketchpad, uh, which allows mm-hmm. it to develop um, models of aircraft very quickly. And then, of course, 
there's um code supporting um programs like Excel, MATLAB, and so forth. So that makes it very interesting. So a lot of the usual suspects, plus the elements of it being a startup and moving quickly and uh, and being a, a agile team, um, it sounds like a fairly dynamic place to work. Yeah, definitely. Is there sort of one thing that you'd like to be able to do or that if you could do it, make a big difference to your CFD process or your results? What's your kind of what's on your wish list? Okay. Um, I'd like to do really incorporating one of my codes that I've written, um, interacting rotor blades, um, not necessarily um, using maybe multiple rotating reference frames. Uh, but um, that might not be possible because my codes are basically based for the PC. And then just looking at a single rotor blade might take about 2 million cells, just that one blade. Um, and then you might have several of them. And so um, I'll definitely like to get into that. But um, I'm probably thinking more of a reduced model that has more fidelity than um, uh, actuated disk or group of actuated disks. Quite often when I ask that question, it comes down to uh, a lot of people want more horsepower, more compute power, or uh, a new fancy technique. But um, I like where you're going with your answer. (laughs) This is a kind of fast-paced area and things are changing quite a lot. Um, So for somebody who wants to sort of keep abreast of, of where these things are going, is there a particularly good resource that that people can follow yes um every day i go onto google and type in flying cars and it's changing every day yes exactly and um the vertical flight society the american helicopter the former american helicopter association i think ah so they've kind of dropped the helicopter out of the name because it's going in a different direction now yeah i think so they're called the vertical flight society now but they keep a track of all the new EV tools that come out, and they have counted to uh, about two hundred so far. So that's a good resource as well. And um, of course, NASA has um, their online um, documents for papers and so forth. There are a whole bunch of papers there, um, and it even takes you back as far as the nineteen sixties of on tilt wings and all the other type of auto. VTOL aircraft throughout the years. Ah, so it's got that unique aspect of being a cutting-edge industry that's also looking back into the archives. I like that. Yeah, Um, yeah, there's nothing that's really, really new. Oh, shush, don't tell everybody. (laughs) There's some different technology and an easier way to... um, Well, actually, I like looking at the old days because... They did everything with experiments and the detail how it was set up. The experiments were set up. And you can use parallel um, setups for CFD and get the results and match them as an, as, uh, as an initial way to proceed. 
if somebody wanted to find out more about what you're doing and follow along with, I know you share some interesting snippets from from Stallion and from the development of your codes and things like that. Is LinkedIn probably the best place to uh, to connect with you or to, to follow along? Definitely LinkedIn and also my website at handlerinnovations.com. My new codes and uh, my former, my our current codes would be there. I want to take this opportunity to thank you for coming on the show today, Patrick. It's a, a sort of an area where you might think you could know what was going on. I mean, we've seen aircraft developments for years. We've seen automotive developments and, and the way these two sectors are coming together and we're sort of reusing old um, archival material and this sort of unique blend of, of all these different things going on. It um, It's absolutely fascinating. So I want to thank you for coming on and, and sharing that with us today. Thank you very much, Robin. You're welcome. Cool. So links in the show notes, as usual. If you want to say hi to Patrick, head on over to, to LinkedIn. Um, and uh, thank you very much. Thanks again, Patrick. Thank you, Robin. 